Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, March 19th, 2018, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio. Beantown Athletics is Boston's go-to destination for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownathletics.com. Today's show is presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using my promo code PICK. That's P-I-C. And even though the NFL season is over, you can still use my promo code for NBA, NHL, and even PGA Tour contests. That's right, even golf. So play for free with your first deposit right now at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app with promo code PICK. That's P-I-C. Again, promo code PICK. P-I-C. And speaking of golf, here in New England, golf season is almost here. And like you, I've made the commitment to playing more golf this year. And here's the problem, though. It's just way too expensive. I'm not even talking about the price of a tee time, folks. I'm talking about the absurd price of golf balls. Well, I'm here to help you out this year. It's a company called Golf Ball Monkey. And it's going to change your life this spring, summer, and even into the fall. Go to golfballmonkey.com right now to get the best discount on golf balls that you will ever see in your entire life. I'm on the site right now, and I can get a dozen Titleist Pro V1s, the 2018 edition, a dozen Titleist Pro V1s for just $14.95. That's right, one dozen Titleist Pro V1s for just $14.95. And if you search for Titleist Pro V1s anywhere else on the internet, you'll see that everywhere else is charging you 50 bucks for a dozen Titleist Pro V1s. That is absolutely insane. At Golf Ball Monkey, they harvest buy and sell golf balls to wholesalers, retailers, and individuals like me and you. And Golf Ball Monkey has more than just Titleist. They also have Nike, Callaway, Pinnacle, Bridgestone, and more. So go to golfballmonkey.com right now. That's golfballmonkey.com and get back out in the course this spring while swinging for less. Golf Ball Monkey. Welcome to the show on this Monday after St. Patrick's Day. And we made it. We made it to the Monday after the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Maybe you didn't make your way into Southie for the parade on Sunday, but as you know, I am always there for it. Two years ago, I did go on vacation during the St. Patrick's Day Parade, so I missed that one. And uh, that was the first St. Patrick's Day Parade I believe that I've ever missed. But it's a big day in my neighborhood. And it's turned into a whole different type of experience over the last we'll say five to ten years, and it just gets more and more insane each and every year. And I told you last week that there were some people up in arms that the route of the St. Patrick's Day Parade was going to change, and I told you last week that that was just fine with me. It's not like they were really shortening it that much. They were just going to keep it on the main road. Did they use a snowstorm as an excuse? Yeah, Maybe, but I... Still like that route. I said it last week, and now a day after the parade in Southie, I'm telling you again, I like the route. Keep the parade on a main road. I don't think that's anything too crazy to ask. And in fact, what I have found when the parade stays on the main road, when it just stays on Broadway, West Broadway, up through and all the way down East Broadway, during the parade, and even a little bit before and after, the rest of the neighborhood can function a little bit better on each side of the main road. So um, I like that route. It's not the first year they've changed this route. I went on a rant last week. I'm not going to get too much into that again. But 
when I get to the Monday after the parade now, this day feels like a holiday for me. This is, to me, this is the holiday now. It's like, I've, we finally got past the parade day. We can finally get back to a normal life in my neighborhood. The, the problem this weekend was, and I didn't know that this was going to be the case. I guess it just didn't hit me that the 17th actual date of St. Patrick's Day was on Saturday, which meant, my neighborhood was not just chaos on Sunday this weekend, this year. It was also chaos on Saturday. And not just Southie, Dorchester was nuts as well. We tried to make our way over to Dorchester Saturday night to get some dinner. And same thing, lines everywhere, long waits places that usually, you know, you could walk in on a Saturday night and you could, you know, you can hear yourself talk. You can hear yourself think because there's not that many people in there. There were lines everywhere. The 17th, I've seen it celebrated before, but not like this. And maybe it's because it fell on a Saturday night, but it was just insane. So basically this weekend in Southie, we had the type of chaos that we usually get on parade day. We also had that on Saturday. So we had it for two days, Saturday and Sunday. So this year, even more so, I just wanted to get through the weekend and get to Monday. So we have made it. It is the Monday after St. Patrick's Day. And this feels like a holiday to me. It really does. So let's get to it. What did we miss over the weekend? Or what did maybe you miss when you were out and about, going to bars, drinking your face off? Well, we had a little competition. And I told you this was going to be a competition on TV over the weekend for people who are actually invested into watching sports on TV. The NCAA tournament going up against Tiger Woods if he was in contention on Sunday at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And guess what? Tiger Woods was in contention on Sunday at the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill. It's just that Tiger Woods choked late. Tiger choked. He was there. I mean, there was one point. I think he was one shot off the lead, right, with McElroy And was it Stenson? Or whoever it was, but Tiger Woods was right there, and then he just blew it. He bogeyed 16 and 17 on Sunday. That was late in the day, and uh, that's maybe when people changed the channel and went back to the NCAA tournament, but as long as Tiger Woods was playing, playing well, and was in contention, and looked like he had a shot, Tiger Woods was going to, you know... I think more people were going to watch Tiger Woods than they were going to watch the NCAA tournament. So that was the competition on the weekend. March Madness versus Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods blew it. Rory McIlroy wins the Arnold Palmer Invitational at 18 under on the tournament. Tiger finished fifth, tied for fifth at 10 under. So, you know what? Even if Tiger Woods didn't bogey 16 and 17, I don't. he wasn't going to win this tournament anyways because Rory McIlroy birdied five of his last six holes. You saw him. He was fired up. You know, that was good to see. The golf fan in me, as much as people are rooting for Tiger Woods to be back, and I told you, I'm, I'm not there yet. I mean, you know, when, when Tiger Woods loses the ball, was that on 16 he lost the ball? You know, his drive went into a non-playable area. He had to drive it again. You know, what is he blaming that on something? Was there a tweak in a swing? Was there an injury there? It's early. I mean, we're in the month of March. People are saying Tiger Woods is back. I know he's been in contention here a couple times, and he's made it interesting. But I think some people are going overboard with it. I mean, when you look at the odds to win the Masters in a couple weeks, which begins, what, April 5th at Augusta? Tiger Woods is the favorite right now to win the Masters. Eh, 
I think that's a little over the top. Don't you think? He's the favorite? He, haven't, he hasn't even come back to win a tournament yet. It's early. You know, part of Tiger Woods' situation the last handful of years has been injury-related as well. And so whenever there is some type of struggle, or maybe he does choke a little bit down the stretch, there's been some injury concern. So I don't know what this is going to look like moving forward. I can't put my money on him to win the Masters. I can't do it. A lot of people are doing it. A lot of people are rooting for Tiger Woods to be back. And I think they want him to be back so very badly that they're willing to say him just being in contention on Sunday is the definition of back. Well, the golf fan in me also enjoys Rory McIlroy having some success because my his, my feeling on Tiger Woods is I think it's better for the sport when when he is in contention on Sunday. It is a more exciting There's no denying, whether you love the guy or absolutely hate the guy, there's no denying that Tiger Woods brings a level of excitement that not many other guys do, maybe nobody else does, to the sport. So there is that excitement level. And I do root for Tiger Woods to be in contention on Sunday so that we get that excitement level on Sunday in any tournament that he plays in. But then when you get to Sunday and you get to the latest stages of that round, the final round, I always end up rooting for the other guy. I do. I root for the other guy. I was rooting for McElroy yesterday. So uh, that's just, that's how I go into these tournaments. That's where I stand with Tiger Woods. But Tiger, even if he didn't blow it late on Sunday at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, I don't know that he would have won because McElroy was, McElroy crushed it down the stretch and he buried five of his last six holes. So um, that's what we had with the golf. And again, the NCAA tournament. I watched more golf than I did basketball this weekend. So, I you, I don't know what you watched more of. I watched more golf than basketball. And Tiger Woods was really the reason for that. But the NCAA tournament, that's not to say it wasn't exciting. And Friday night, we got the upset of all upsets. A number one seed eliminated by a 16th seed. Number one seed, Virginia. Lost to number 16 seed, UMBC. And to give you an idea of just how big an upset this was, obviously a 16 beating a 1, we get it. You know, it's never happened in the men's tournament, and it's something that I, I'll be honest with you, I never thought it was going to happen. I, I just didn't. I didn't think it was ever going to happen. But it's happened now. And, and I don't know where we go from here. I don't know, is, is that... A 16 seed beating a one seed, does that mean we have to reevaluate this tournament to see what we actually have coming into it? Do they look at this and say, all right, we'll, we'll add more teams next year? Do they look at it and say, let's add less teams? I don't know what they do. I, I don't think they're going to add less teams because then they would obviously not make as much money. But you get what I'm saying. I think something like that will force some people to get back to the drawing board and think about. What what happened here? Like, I, you have to, right? You have to look at this and go, what happened? All right, it's exciting. It's big news. Everybody's like, wow, is 16 beat a one? Should a 16 seed beat a one seed? Realistically, let's be, let's be serious, people. Should a 16 seed ever beat a one seed? The answer is no. Not only should a 16 seed never beat a one seed, a 16 seed should never beat a one seed by 20 fucking points. 
has the investigation begun yet on this game, Virginia and UMBC? Like, to give you an idea of how big an upset this was outside of the 16 beating a 1, Virginia was a 20-point favorite, a 20-and-a-half-point favorite. And not only did Virginia, the 20-and-a-half-point favorite, lose the game, they lost by 20. Like, there's one thing if a 16 seed beats a 1, which, again, I never thought would happen. It's another thing to have a 16 seed beat a 1 seed by 20 points. Like, this game wasn't even close. Virginia was not just some team full of schmucks that didn't, you know, that, that, that got lucky with a 1 seed. They had two losses all season long. They were 31 and 2. That is a rock solid Virginia team. And they lost to UMBC. Had a 24 and 10 record. Who's UMBC playing? They had 10 losses this year. And uh, they just barely got into the damn thing. So, to, for UMBC to win this game is a complete and utter shock, I think, to everybody. Even people like myself who didn't pay that much attention to the college basketball season this year. But for them to, for UMBC to win by 20, I go from being shocked to asking, when does the investigation begin? I, I know there's already NCAA investigations going on right now, and, and I, nobody should be surprised by that. And, you know, you're hearing some things that have come out the last couple of weeks, and, and I'm sure you're going to hear more. The, the longer we go on while they don't pay these college athletes, these college basketball players, the more scandals we're going to hear about. And, I mean, the, I think the word scandal is strong because if it's happening everywhere, it, is it really a scandal? But, but anyways, knowing what we know about the NCAA and some of these scandals, what people call them, would you really be shocked if there was some, it was some type of, I don't know, players on Virginia throwing the game? Like, would you be shocked by that? They lost by 20 points. And, like, I brought this up over the weekend, yesterday, on Sunday, at a St. Patrick's Day party. I said, this should be an investigation. And someone was like, well, why? I said, that they lost by, Virginia lost by 20 points. I said, oh, UMBC, they just, you know, they, they, they got hot at the right time. <laughs> they didn't get hot at the right time. Virginia got cold at the wrong time. And they didn't just get cold. They got, like, you don't belong in the tournament cold. How can a team with a 31-2 record get you don't belong in the tournament cold to UMB? No, this doesn't happen. There's a reason why we've never seen a 16-B to 1 before. Okay? There's a reason why. And don't give me, well, the rest of the college basketball world, you know, you see all these small schools with these upsets, you know, you got, eventually a 16 seed is going to be good enough to beat a 1. Enough. Stop. The 1 seeds are the best teams in the country, and it's not even close. It's not like you know, a four or a five, and, you know, they could have been a two or a three. No, the one seeds are distinct. You know the one seeds, all right? They don't lose the 16 seeds for a reason. And then when they lose to a 16 seed, and they lose by 20 points, like, you show up to play a 16 seed as a one seed, and you don't even, it looks like you don't belong in the same building as the 16 seed. There's something fishy about that. There's something fishy about it. Don't tell me there isn't. There should be an investigation. 
You want to investigate something that goes against, you know, the, the morals of, of college sports, any type of sport in general. Then you should go after this in an investigation, not paying players to go to certain schools. They're going to pay players, whether it's, you know, schools are paying them or you, you hook them up with an agent or you got whatever. Some, you know, some type of company giving them some money. Doesn't matter. Boosters, doesn't matter. That stuff's going to happen. And I'm actually okay with it because these kids at the end of the day should be getting paid based on how much money is made, especially just with this tournament alone. But when you get a team that's a one seed that loses to a 16 seed and doesn't just lose, but loses by 20, there is something so fucking fishy about that. It's not even funny. Like, I don't know if they're going to investigate it, but they should interview everybody. They should look into text messages, emails, social media messages, everybody on that Virginia team, even people on UMBC. I'm telling you right now, you investigate this. That is, an, that is everyone's shocked. Like, oh, it's great for the tournament. St. Patrick's Day, 16 beat a one. I'm going that 16 beat a one by 20 points. This isn't shocking stuff. This is borderline sketchy stuff. <laughs> there should be an investigation on this game. That's what I think. I don't know if my paranoia is coming into play there or not, but you can't tell me I'm crazy given some of the shit you hear with the NCAA. You can't tell me I'm crazy. But they should investigate that game. A 20-point win for a 16 seed over a 1? <laughs> It doesn't happen. It, there's a reason why it doesn't happen. Now, Virginia wasn't the only one seed to be eliminated. Now, Xavier, a one seed in the West bracket, they are also eliminated. They didn't lose to a 16 seed, but they lost in the second round. So we have two one seeds eliminated here in the Sweet 16. I'm not going to go through every game, every team, but... uh. All you need to know is two one seeds are eliminated, but the biggest story was the one seed losing to a 16 seed. And I think the biggest story is probably the one that nobody really wants to talk about. I think is the elephant in the room. Or it should be at least. Which is something shady's going on with a 20 point loss to a 16 seed. There is. There's something shady going on there. Is this an accusation? Yeah, I guess. I guess I'm accusing, I'm just accusing somebody of throwing that game. For a certain amount of money, whether it's two players who decided not to show up on purpose, uh, you know, I don't know, something that's not right. That's not right. And with that, we'll move on. Actually, real quick, everybody here in Boston and New England, if you do want to watch the 16, the Sweet 16, it, it resumes on Thursday, but at the TD Garden, the Sweet 16 is here in Boston. And I didn't know this really until the other day. And that's going to be on Friday and Sunday of this weekend. The Sweet 16. You're going to get Villanova versus West Virginia. Texas Tech versus Purdue. And then probably Villanova versus... I don't, just pick out of a hat there. Purdue? Villanova, Purdue? Maybe? At the TD Garden this weekend. Friday and Sunday. Sweet 16 here in Boston. So that's what we had over the weekend with golf, with the NCAA Tournament. And the NFL offseason continues to roll along. And the Patriots, they had a, they've had a busy couple days here. And 
what we're seeing right now in this NFL offseason, specifically with the New England Patriots, is, you know, what did I tell you last week when I looked at the Patriots losing Amendola to Miami, losing Nate Solder to the Giants, losing Malcolm Butler and Deion Lewis to the Tennessee Titans? What did I tell you? I said, I know... Those moves combined with the cryptic messages from Gronk and the, you know, Tom Brady acting like a fucking widow. I told you that it just has a different feel this offseason. And it's it's not a it's not a good different. It's not a good different. But if you take the cryptic stuff out of the way and you just look at the decisions by the Patriots to not bring back those four players, I look at that. On its own, and I say, well, I just think it's business as usual for the Patriots. The Patriots, they put a certain value on a guy, and they are not going to go above and beyond what they think a certain player is worth on the free agent market. You know, if a certain guy's up for contract, Nate Sold is up for contract, Bill Belichick is going to look at that and he's going to say, this is how much I think this guy is worth. And if Nate Solder is going to come back to them and say, well, this team's willing to give me this, can you match this? Belichick has a number on a piece of paper and he's going to go, no, here's what I'm offering you. Here's what you're worth. If you don't want that, then, you know, go have fun with the Giants because the Patriots just, that's the way they handle business. That's the way Belichick does business. And you can be pissed off about that all you want, but for the most part, you know, we call it the Patriot way, or at least it's part of the Patriot way, how Belichick handles his off-seasons and puts the value on players. It works. The Patriot way works. It's a real thing. I have bought into it, and I don't know how anyone could not buy into it. Honestly, I don't know how people on the Patriots, players on the Patriots, could buy out of it right now. And so I kind of called out Gronk and Brady last week saying, hey, cut the shit with the cryptic stuff. You know, if Gronk wants to play this game where he wants more guaranteed money and he wants Drew Rosenhaus to get to the negotiation table with the Patriots and, and work out some type of deal here, you know, Gronk has every right to do that. Gronk should not be on an incentive-based contract. He should go out and try to get some guaranteed money. But it's just some of the messages are like, you know, the, the message to Amendola where he says, you know, good luck in Miami, be free, be happy. And he puts the words free and happy in, in, in caps. And it makes us think like, well, that's a cryptic message. He's obviously trying to let us know that he's he's not, that Gronk feels like the players are not free and are not happy in New England. And, you know, then Brady comments on stuff and, and says, well said, you right? I mean, the cryptic stuff from guys like this, it's like, if it wasn't for the Patriot way, you guys wouldn't even have a right to demand anything. You wouldn't. So, the, they just need to cut the shit with the cryptic stuff. The cryptic message is out in the public on social media, Facebook documentaries, uh, late night show appearances, enough. Cut the shit. Cut the shit. And I told you last week what Belichick is doing by not bringing back Butler, not bringing back Lewis, not bringing back Solda, not bringing back Amendola at prices that other teams wanted to pay those guys. It's simply just business as usual for the New England Patriots. And so I can't get all worked up about that. I can't do it. And what you saw this weekend was, I think, some moves that the Patriots made that back up 
what I told you last week, that this is business as usual for the Patriots. Let's go over the moves. Uh, most recently, the Patriots acquired Cordero Patterson and a sixth-round pick from the Oakland Raiders for a fifth-round pick. So the Patriots gave the Raiders a fifth-rounder. They get Patterson and a sixth-rounder. Now, Patterson is a receiver who's bigger than someone like Amendola. What's Patterson? 6'2". Amendola's 5'11". So, you know, Patterson's not one of these little guys, but the explosiveness with Patterson is something that makes you think, all right, this is a guy who has returned kicks uh, in this league. You know, the Patriots lose Deion Lewis. They lose Amendola. Patterson's going to return some kicks to the Patriots. And he's got this explosiveness to his game that, you know, I, I think he'll do some more than just return kicks. I think he'll be involved in the receiving game. What is that going to look like? Well, I don't know. It all depends on what type of trust Tom Brady will build with that receiver. You know, the Patriots, when they get Edelman back, and, and I'm assuming that Gronk is going to return next season, you'll have Edelman, Gronk. Don't forget about Chris Hogan. Don't forget about Brandon Cooks. You know, Patterson is not going to be very high on the depth shot, but... I think his main role will be return kicks, and he could be involved in the receiving game. But he's an explosive player with explosive speed and athleticism. And, you know, it's a good trade for the Patriots. You you basically, what, you give up a fifth-round pick, and you end up getting a sixth-rounder back. But Patterson has one year left on his deal. It's for $3 million. And then the Patriots go out, and they trade for a cornerback. Jason McCourty, Devin McCourty's twin brother, Jason McCourty. He's on the final year of his deal as well, and he's worth $3 million next year. So you're talking about two guys that I think in Bill Belichick's mind are going to be very valuable for this team. Patterson in the kick return game on special teams and maybe even on the offense as a, a receiver with some explosiveness. And then a cornerback, a veteran cornerback, and Jason McCourty, who is a solid veteran corner. Those two guys combined for $6 million. Again, business as usual. So, those moves combined with the Patriots re-sign running back Rex Burkhead, Patriots sign running back Jeremy Hill on a one-year deal worth 1.5 mil, and then they sign what I think, this uh, this is what I think the Patriots' biggest move this offseason is going to be. They've signed defensive end Adrian Claiborne. Claiborne led the Atlanta Falcons last year with nine and a half sacks. He led the Falcons in both sacks and quarterback hits. So Adrian Claiborne in his late 20s, it's a two-year deal, $12 million total. So I think that's the max. He can get 12 and a half maybe. This is the pass rusher that the Patriots need. This is the type of pass rusher the Patriots need. A guy who led a team in sacks last year. You put Adrian Claiborne out there with Trey, someone like Trey Flowers. I mean, let's go back to the Super Bowl. One thing I told you about the Patriots' Super Bowl loss to Philly was that I just didn't understand the Patriots' game plan where they did not, they didn't draw anything up to get to the quarterback. Like, they just didn't do it. It's not that they were trying to draw, it's not that they were sending in guys and they couldn't get to the quarterback. It's that it didn't really look like they were trying to get to the quarterback. And maybe that's because they knew they didn't have the personnel to do that. And so they figured they just dropped some guys back. I don't necessarily know the reason for that. But if you're going to add 
who probably is, is, is was Claybone the top defensive end on the free agent market this year? I, I think this is going to end up being the Patriots' biggest move. And if he's going to get to the quarterback like he did last year with Atlanta, then you talk about Claybone with Flowers, and all of a sudden, you know, you add a veteran like, like Jason McCourty. Look, I wanted Richard Sherman. And, and the contract that Richard Sherman signed, I mean, that's a team-friendly deal. It's an incentive-based contract. I don't know who wouldn't want that, right? I don't know who would want that. I would have preferred Richard Sherman. But if you, since you didn't get Richard Sherman, you know, right now you look at some things. If you're going to add a veteran cornerback and Jason McCourty for only $3 million for next season, and obviously, you know, he'll be, he'll have the incentive to play well because it's the last year of his deal, right? And then you had someone like Claiborne up there to the front seven, you know, you're looking at some defensive improvements. I get it. These moves don't jump off the screen. They're not your late-breaking blockbuster, you know, ESPN, da-na-na, da-na-na, breaking news type of deals. They're not. But if you look at how Bill Belichick does business, which, I, which again, I think this is business as usual, he is bringing in guys that are going to be extremely valuable to this team. He's bringing in guys that, you know, look, is Patterson going to make us forget about Danny Amendola? I don't know. I, I mean, does Patterson have some tricks up his sleeve in a kick return game? Like, does Patterson have a couple, you know, kick returns for touchdowns in his game next year? Then we could be sitting there talking about somebody with that type of explosiveness that was a huge acquisition this offseason. Is Jason McCordy going to be a veteran corner working with his brother and helping this defense, you know, get back to being that type of, you know, that type of defense where you got a couple lockdown corners to go along with Stephon Gilmore, where you're not giving up 40-plus points in the Super Bowl, right? Maybe, uh, you know, Adrian Claiborne. Again, a two-year deal worth $12 million total. He led his team in sacks last year. Um, it's a big move, and I think that's going to be the biggest move for the Patriots. You know, now we have our eyes on, what, Matthew Slater? He's visiting the Steelers, I guess. He visited Pittsburgh this past weekend. I, it's funny. It's funny the reaction to that. Like, the reaction to that is great. Where people are like, oh, that's it. Matthew Slater, special teams captain. Uh, people want to put the guy in the Hall of Fame. Belichick loves him. He's leaving. Everything is falling apart if Matthew Slater leaves. I can't believe people have that reaction to Matthew Slater. And I'm not trying to take anything away from what he brings to the table and how much Belichick actually likes him. Belichick obviously loves him. But, I mean, he's going to be 33 in September. And if you're going to sit here and, and panic about losing somebody who is primarily just a special teams leader more than anyone. Like, honestly, Matthew, I get news from people who are all worked up about losing Matthew Slater. Matthew Slater is as replaceable as they come. He is. He's as replaceable as they come. Don't try to tell me that you're panicking because you're losing Matthew Slater. And I don't even know if they're going to lose him. But I tell you what, if Matthew Slater wants to play the game, the value game, and say, well, if Pittsburgh's offering me this much, Belichick is, as much as Belichick loves the guy, Bill Belichick is not going to go over the top to make sure that a 32, 33-year-old Matthew Slater, who's just running around on special teams, 
as much as he loves special teams, Belichick is not going to go over the top to make sure Slater stays in New England. And if you think that Slater possibly leaving New England is the sign of the Patriots' demise, then I got news for you. I got news for you. A special teamer, even as good a special teamer as Matthew Slater is, and as much as the Patriots care about special teams, you're going to be shocked when the Patriots are just fine without Matthew Slater. You're going to be shocked just how fine the Patriots will be without Matthew Slater. So, whatever. That's where I stand on Matthew Slater. And again, not to take anything away from him, but I'm at the whatever stage. He wants to go visit Pittsburgh. He, He wants to go get some big money. Good for him. But Patriots, given the way they handle business, are not going to go above and beyond for a special team. They're not. It's not going to happen. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't. So I'm not sitting here this offseason disagreeing with things that the Patriots have done. I'm actually telling you that I like the things the Patriots have done. And I think out of the moves that they've made so far, the Adrian Claiborne signing, to add that type of defensive end to this Patriots defense, and a veteran corner in Jason McCourty, I think these are good moves. I do. I think they're good moves. And Patterson, I don't know. I mean, for all we know, Patterson gets released before the regular season even begins. Like, that's how, how much of an unknown he is. Not, I shouldn't say how much of an unknown he is. It's how much of an unknown his impact is going to be with this type of organization. I'm serious. I don't know. You know, is Brady going to be able to trust him? Is, you know, is Patterson even going to be able to crack the depth shot for receivers on this team? Is Patterson going to hold on to the football when he's returning kicks? He he fumbles once in the preseason. You know, Belichick might lose all trust in him. He gets cut before week one. I don't know. But Patterson's playing for something. He's got one year left on his deal, $3 million. He's got explosiveness. He seems like a, a talented athlete. Bring him in. Why not? And it's at a discounted rate. So, uh... I, I don't think that I don't think people should be panicking about the Patriots as much as initially initially they might want might have wanted to. I know in the heat of the moment when you see Solda go, Butler go, Lewis go, Amendola go, it looks worse because it all kind of happened at once. And in that heat of the moment, to go along with Gronk's tweets and Brady's stuff, Tom vs. Time and the appearance on on you know whatever show that was, Colbert Report. I mean. It seems, it seems bad in the heat of the moment. But when you take a step back, take a couple deep breaths, understand the money that some of these guys got from other teams, understand what the Patriots will continue to do, which is Bill Belichick puts a value on a guy and he's not going above and beyond that. And, and you know, it's the next man up every, with everybody. When, when you come back down to earth and accept those things and accept the fact that these things and this strategy has worked for the Patriots in the past, then I think you feel a little bit better, especially now that you see someone like Adrian Claiborne signed to a two-year deal. Uh, maybe when you see someone with this explosiveness like Kadaro Patterson come in to play for a one-year $3 million deal and cornerback Jason McCourty on a one-year $3 million deal, right? When you see these type of things, I think you should feel a little bit better about the Patriots offseason. So anything else that the Patriots do this offseason, I will react to on this very show. But now, you know, we look ahead and for the next three weeks, we will have our eye on the NBA and the NHL as they have hit their final stretch run into the playoffs. 
The NBA playoffs and the Stanley Cup playoffs begin next month. And to close out the show here, I wanted to play a little game that you know I like like to play on the show. And, and and we'll do it here the next couple weeks. Little game called If the Playoffs Began Today. Right? If the playoffs began today, let's start with the NBA. And and I'm my focus with this game is is mainly on the Boston teams, like the Celtics in the NBA. The Celtics have 12 games left. Um, They've played 70 games. They have 47 wins. They're all banged up. And if the playoffs began today, on this Monday, March 19th, the Celtics would be the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, they have five games behind the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors have the one seed. I think that's pretty much wrapped up for the Raptors. So the Celtics... And the Celtics have 47 wins. Then you got Cleveland, the three seed, with 40 wins. I think, now, well, Cleveland and the Wizards, the Wizards are the four seed with the same amount of wins as Cleveland. They both have 40 wins. And then also you got Indiana with 40 wins. You got Philly with 38 wins. Milwaukee, 37. Miami, 37. Those are going to be the eight teams. We Because the Pistons are in the outside looking in. Detroit is 30 wins. They're not going to get in. So I think we know the eight teams in the Eastern Conference in the NBA. I, I, I don't know the seeding from, heck, from three to eight. We don't know. But I find it hard to believe that Cleveland is going to drop any lower than four or five. I would put my money on Cleveland finishing the three seed. But as of right now, on this Monday morning, March 19th, if the playoffs began today in the NBA, Toronto would be the one seed. The Celtics would be the two seed. Cleveland would be the three seed. The Wizards would be the four seed. The Pacers, the five seed. The 76ers, the six seed. The Milwaukee Bucks, the seven seed. And the Miami Heat, the eight seed. The number two seed Celtics would play the number seven seed Bucks in the first round. And with the set brackets in the NBA, the winner of that series would play the winner of three seeded Cleveland and six seeded. Philadelphia. So it's setting you up for a Celtics Cavaliers second round matchup in the NBA playoffs. And, you know, with the injuries that the Celtics have right now, I don't expect Gordon Haywood to return. I I would not I would not put my money in the Celtics over Cleveland in the second round. I mean, I'd be rooting for myself to be wrong. I'd be rooting to lose that bet. But I could not put my money against LeBron James in that situation with some of the injuries they have. You know, the smart injury. Uh, you know, hopefully Kyrie Irving and the knee isn't serious. But, you know, you're not going to have Haywood back. I, I can't put my money against LeBron James in that second-round series against the Celtics. But that's what it looks like right now. And it does look like Toronto is going to be solidified in that one seed. Celtics will be solidified in that two seed. Three through eight is kind of up in the air, but at least we know the eight teams in the East. And in the West, you have Houston, number one, Golden State, number two, Portland, number three, Oklahoma City, number four, the Jazz, the five seed, the Pelicans, the six seed, the Spurs, the seven seed, the Timberwolves, the eight seed. And you got a dogfight there because you get the Nuggets on the outside looking in with 38 wins, two less wins than the eight seed Timberwolves. And the Clippers on the outside looking in with 37 wins, three less wins than the eight seed Timberwolves. So uh, those eight teams are not set in stone yet. But 
hey, Western Conference is going to be a dogfight. I think the Eastern Conference this year is going to be a dogfight too. I mean, there could be some teams in the East like Philly that could sneak up on someone. I mean, I'm not ruling out Milwaukee sneaking up on someone. Right? I'm not ruling that out. So, that's what we have the next couple weeks in the NBA to look out for, but I think the Celtics will finish the two seed. And that will set them up, I think, for a second round matchup with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then the Stanley Cup playoffs, if they began today, well, the Bruins got 12 games left like the Celtics. And if the playoffs began today, the Bruins, see, I actually wrote out the Stanley Cup playoff brackets here. The Bruins would be the two seed in their division, the Atlantic division, and they'd be playing the three seed Toronto Maple Leafs, which is not an easy matchup. Bruins have 98 points. The Bruins, you want to talk, I know I mentioned the Celtics are banged up. The Bruins are as banged up as you can get, and yet they still make it competitive, and they win. They beat Tampa Bay the other night, a shutout. As banged up as they are. It's just, when you get to the playoffs, if the Bruins remain this banged up when they begin the playoffs, and I don't know that they will, but if they remain this banged up when they get to the playoffs, they're going to be in some trouble. They're going to be the playoffs are a different beast. Seven game series. There's a reason why the Stanley Cup is the toughest trophy to win in all of sports. It's as physical as you get. It's as much of a grind as any sport has in their respective playoffs. It's a different game. You got to be healthy. And, and the Bruins right now are not healthy. But what's that going to look like next month? We'll see. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, they need to get healthy is my point. If the Bruins look like they look now with that health report and their depth shot, they might not even get by the Maple Leafs in the first round. And if you do, the winner of that series, Bruins in Toronto, if the playoffs began today, the winner of that series would play the winner of Tampa Bay and New Jersey. So... Um, I know the Bruins just beat Tampa, but if the Bruins are just banged up in the playoffs, I, I don't think they'd be beating Tampa Bay in a seven-game series. I don't. But we have to wait and see. We have to wait and see. So that's what the Stanley Cup playoff picture looks like, at least for the Bruins. Uh, it, it gets a little more complicated because it's not one through eight like the NBA. NHL's not one through eight anymore. You got the two wildcard teams, and it does throw an interesting little wrinkle into the way the matchups are lined up. But uh, for the Bruins, if the playoffs began today, they'd be playing Toronto. And that's actually been that way for a little bit. The Bruins have 98 points. Tampa Bay's above them with 102 points. I don't know if the Bruins are going to catch them. They have 12 games left, though. And uh, we'll see what happens. But the stretch run before the playoffs, the next couple weeks, keep our eye on that. React to anything that goes down. And Major League Baseball begins in 10 days. Opening day, 10 days away. Opening day is next week. Next week. So uh, it can't get here soon enough. I just have no energy to get into spring training baseball right now. I just don't. I tweeted something out today about the Red Sox lineup that Alex Cora is starting to put together regularly where it looks like this is going to be the opening day lineup. Mookie Betts leading off, Andrew Benatendi hitting second. Uh, and then obviously they can mix and match Hanley and J.D. Martinez in the three and the four spots. We know that's going to happen. It's just who's going to be 5-6. Alex Cora right now, or at least today, had Xander Bogart sitting fifth with Rafael Devis hitting sixth. And I tweeted out, I would flip-flop that 
I would put Devis hitting fifth. And to be honest with you, we could get to a point this season. I think Rafael Devis is so good. We could get to a point where Devis is making the case. You got to hit him second or third. Like, I think Devis is going to be that good where he's going to make. And, and look, it's a good. That would be a good problem to have for Alex Cora. But I think that's where we're going to be eventually with Rafael Devis as early as maybe June or July. So uh, to have him hitting sixth, I think, is a mistake. I would like to see Devis hitting fifth in this lineup behind a Hanley-JD Martinez combination, whether it's Hanley then JD or JD then Hanley. Then I'd like to see Devis hitting fifth in the Red Sox lineup. But 10 days away from opening day. Opening day is next week. Can't get here soon enough. And when that does happen, I will get into baseball mode officially on this show. And of course, it's WrestleMania season. And in the next couple weeks, I'm hoping to get Justin Barrasso from Sports Illustrated. He is SI.com's pro wrestling insider who usually joins me on this show right before every major WWE pay-per-view. And there's a lot to talk about in the WWE. So we'll get him in the next couple weeks. Stay updated on this show by following me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Danny Picard Show. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. There is some new content dropping very soon. Make sure you subscribe and hit that notifications tab. And get this show whenever you want at dannypicard.com. Also subscribe and download on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podcast One, literally anywhere podcasts are available. Enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. I will be back on Thursday. Talk to you then. <laughs>